Amen. Good morning, Pillar Church. My name is Pastor Kanan, one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. So I wanted to start this Sunday off with a little hip-hop trivia. I know y'all kind of like, what? And it's not hard trivia, but, it, you know, we'll see. And I'm going somewhere, so don't be like, oh, I knew this guy was a heretic. No. Just, I'm going somewhere with this. There's multiple answers, but there's one answer I'm looking for, okay? What does Jay-Z, Lil John, Jim Jones, DJ Khaled, and Diddy all have in common? Don't answer, because you don't want to look foolish. <laughs> Think about it. They're all musicians, all this kind of stuff. I don't know what you said, but I ain't going to repeat it, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> Here it is, you ready? They all started their careers as hype men. That's not something everybody knows. Every last one of those men started their careers as hype men. Hype men, for all of you people who are, are not hip-hop heads, a hype man is a guy who will come out before the artist does, and he will prepare the artist's way before he got there. He would get the crowd anticipating the arrival of, what, of said artist, whomever it may be. He would get out there, and he would move the crowd. If they were too low, he'd bring them up. If they were too high, he'd bring them low. He did whatever it took to make sure that when the artist came out, it was clear, he was ready, it was undeniable who was there, right? They would be like, okay, now y'all are ready, let me introduce you to, and they would bring the artist out. That's what a, what a hype man would do. Oftentimes they're called hype man because the crowd would need movement, right? They'd be too stagnant, and so he would get people lifting their hands and moving it back and forth and all that kind of stuff, but that's what a hype man would do. Now some of y'all are wondering why I'm talking about hype men talking about hype men because it's the theme of the text this morning. Uh, hype man is a modern day hip hop version of an ancient herald. A herald did the same thing a hype man does. Let me see if I can get this rolling. Here we go. A herald is a royal officer, a messenger, especially representing a monarch or an ambassadorial capacity during wartime. Uh, a, for, uh, uh, a herald is a person or thing that proceeds or comes before a forerunner or a harbinger, a person, a thing that proclaims and announces to give news of tidings, to announce and to proclaim. You see the theme? To indicate or to signal the coming, to usher something or someone in. That's what a herald does. This morning, we're going to be introduced to a hype man, to a herald, to a forerunner, but not for the hip-hop artist or even for an average-day monarch or king. We're going to be introduced to a forerunner or a herald to the king of kings. That's the theme of the few verses we're going to go through. So go ahead and open in your copy of God's Word to the Gospel of John. We'll be here for about three or four years. <laughs> Y'all laugh. It's 31 chapters, brother. It's just it's a lot. Go ahead and open to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Remember, Galatians took a whole year. <laughs> John is like four times Galatians. Anyway, we'll see. John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 6 through 8 today. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. About 400 years 
before Jesus would come on the scene, God would give a promotion or a promo or a sneak peek about the coming of John. About 400 years prior, he said this through one of his prophets, Malachi. God said, see, I'm going to send my messenger, my herald, my hype man. I'm going to send him. And he will what? He's going to clear the way before me. This is a, Trinity, this is a deity of Christ passage anyway. Y'all, don't Y'all get there. If you know it, then you know. He's going to clear the way before me, the Lord says. Before who? Then the Lord you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant you delight in. See, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. So God promises he's going to send his, his messenger, uh, I'm sorry, 300 years, um, 400 years before Jesus came. Now, 300 years before Malachi would say this, God gave another promise. He's just building us up for the coming of the herald, right? He says this 300 years before the last prophet said it. He said a voice crying in the wild, crying out, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight, uh, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. He says every valley, remember valleys are deep, every valley will be lifted up and every mountain or hill will be leveled. All uneven ground will become smooth and rough places will become plain. What's he doing? He's getting everything ready. If the people are too high, he's bringing them low. If they're too low, he's bringing them high. He's evening out the playing field so that when the person who he's to announce is coming, it's undeniable as to who he is. Everybody's prepared and ready. Anticipation up. Verse 5, he says, And the glory of the Lord will appear, and all of humanity together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This man is the forerunner, this messenger, was sent by God to prepare the people to meet the king of kings. And his name was John. Now, let me, let me just go ahead and clarify something. There was a man sent, by, sent from God whose name was John. Now, this is not the same John who wrote this letter, John. Because I know that's confusing. There is, John then is a common name. It's a common name now. The person who wrote what we're considering, what we're calling the gospel of John, or this letter of John, the person who wrote that, his Now he goes by the Apostle John. He's one of Jesus's 12 disciples. He's one of the sons of Zebedee. You'll see he talks about the sons of Zebedee. He's one of them. He's the youngest of Jesus's disciples, the guy who wrote this. He's the brother of another apostle named James. But the Apostle John is introducing us to a different John. This John is more is better known as John the baptizer. Or sometimes you call him John the Baptist. Now, I realize in the South, you can't call him John the Baptist because everybody else get mad. Up North, what it is, but he's not Baptist in the sense of Baptist church, all right? So if you can get that out your head, think about, yes, yeah, right, we right, Baptist, no. John the Baptizer, okay? John the Baptizer. Now, what's dope about John the Baptizer is that John the Baptizer is actually Jesus' relative. Some scholars think he's Jesus' cousin or some kind of a similar age nephew or, or something like that, but he's related to Jesus, John the baptizer. In fact, there's a lot of interesting facts about this John who's the forerunner, and we're going to look at some of those facts now. The first one is that when it was time for the messenger to come, remember he prophesied it 400 years and then 300 years, right? So 700 years total, he's been prophesying this coming of this dude 
this Messiah. Before it was come, God sent an angel to alert, to alert his parents. Right now, that's important because any old Joe Schmo, if they're reading the text clearly, they're going to be like, see, my son is going to be John the Baptist. Well, God makes it plain by sending an angel to alert his parents. Hey, there's going to be, you're going to have a son. Now, the wife was barren. So the fact that the son was coming, the son was coming was already amazing. He's like, you're going to have a son. He's going to be unique. He's going to be different. John's father was a priest and he was performing his priestly duties when the angel spoke to him. Again, that's another important reality because the priests are trusted religious leaders of the day. And so if the priest is coming out of nowhere saying that an angel spoke to me, it was much more believable than if some Joe Schmo from the block said that an angel spoke to me. Okay, God planning this thing out. The angel said this unique thing about John. He said this in Luke chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. He said that John would be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. It says he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord, to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the, to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. John spent a great deal of his life, in fact, he spent most of, most of his life living in the wilderness. And he wore a camel skin tunic, leather belt, and he ate locusts and honey. Now already, don't read it and think, oh, that must have been cultural. Nah, that was weird then too. Okay, so just understand that. Okay, he's dressed... Often a lot of prophets would, would, would dress in similar ways, but he's dressed that way because of something we're going to come to as we continue through the Gospel of John about him fulfilling the role of the prophet Elijah. But he's not the quintessential prophet in the sense that God doesn't just take the, the finely groomed people and put them on a pedestal to make them believable. He took somebody who was a little bit different, somebody who's not quote unquote normal, somebody who would otherwise be considered an outcast of society. And he said, this is going to be my forerunner. This is going to be my mouthpiece. This is the dude I've been telling y'all about for 700 years. He's coming. And so when you got to put yourself there, when you read that or you hear that God is sending a forerunner before him to be the mouthpiece to make straight the way of the Lord, and then you see that dude show up, you're probably going to not believe it. And it's funny how God can speak to us through individuals that we would otherwise think he wouldn't speak through. Oftentimes he does that with children. When a child tells you, wait, daddy, isn't that a lie? <laughs> oh, that's a joke, baby. That's a joke. That's not a lie. That's a... Right? God took this unusual situation and did something amazing with it. John's ministry is one of preaching. He preached repentance. That's what he did. He preached repentance. Repent, 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 which means to turn. Okay? Repentance literally means to turn, to, to turn the other direction. And he baptized people who were repenting of their sins. And his ministry grew very, very large. Now, John's task was to testify of the coming of Jesus. This is what the scripture says. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify, key word, about the light so that all might believe through him. John, the apostle, uses legal language to kind of fortify 
the mission of this otherwise strange fellow. He says that he came to testify, and testify is a legal term. To testify means to give testimony under oath, usually in court, to make a solemn declaration, to bear witness, to affirm as a fact or truth, to attest. John's whole life was built around this concept of testifying or telling, attesting to, as if he's in a court of law, that the guy I'm about to introduce to you is the one. That's his whole job. That's what he was literally born to do. He was born to tell, this is, this is his life's mission. Now, the author has already told us how grand this, this king of kings or this Jesus is that he's heralding. This is how the author, the apostle John, has already defined Jesus. As we went through John chapter 1 all the way to this point from verse 1, we know that Jesus is the eternal word. We know that Jesus is the creator God. We know that Jesus is the life, both physical and eternal. Y'all remember the words for these? What's physical? Dios. What's eternal? Zoe. Yeah, good. Yeah, he's, he's the author of life, both physical life and eternal life. And he's the overcoming light is what, what we saw last week. Now, the apostle John and John the baptizer seem to be bent on pointing people to Jesus. In fact, they gave their life to this end. This, look, look, look what it says. It says, the man sent from God, whose name was John, he came as a witness to testify about the light. Why? So that all might believe through him. Not so that some might believe through him. So that all might believe through him. This speaks of the zealousness of his mission. John is not content allowing anybody to engage him for any amount of time, and he doesn't somehow, some way, illuminate their eyes and their mind to the reality that he's coming to speak on behalf of another who's greater than him. You can't know John and not know about his Savior. That's convicting. Because we know a lot of people who know us, but they don't know us because of our Savior. They know us because we try to get them to switch to Metro PCS. They know us because we cook a great you know, fried chicken. They know us because we're very fast, we're track stars. They know us. They know you for a lot of things, but do they know you because of the savior you represent? He gave his whole life to this. The apostle John and John the baptizer both gave their entirety of their lives to this cause. You will know me, and if you know me, I'm, you're going to know him. It's an impossibility to know me for 35 minutes and not have heard the name of Jesus, who's my God and my Savior. Now, it's funny because we don't want to be, we don't want the labels, you know, zealot or look a little crazy. You won't. But love it. You know what I've learned from walking the block and talking to people? They're looking for hope, B. Everybody's looking for some kind of hope because the rat race is running them dry, it's grinding them out. Everybody's looking for hope. And you got hope in your pocket. Pull out your phone, read a verse to them. Pray for them in Jesus' name. It's that simple just to spark it off. Once you pray in Jesus' name, also, man, you going through? Yeah, man, it's hard. Man, let me pray for you. What's going on? What's your name? Got your name? Okay, let me pray. Da, 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 da. In Jesus' name. And then you look like, man, what you know? There's my line. Don't copy my line. Man, what you know about Christ? That's my line. That's always used. Find your own line. Don't take my line because everybody going to be saying it and it won't be my thing no more. So you can't have it. 
John devoted his life to this, and the other John devoted his life to this. They did so because faith in Jesus is that important. I want to, I want to go over the message of the gospel. And if you need to write down some of these elements, please do. But I want you to know what it is that these people and us, we have given our lives to. What truth have we submitted under? I want you to listen for this, okay? Our sins have offended a holy and righteous God. We start there. You can start in a lot of places. God created. He's the creator. You can start with. But listen, our sins have offended a holy and righteous God. And then check this out. A holy and righteous God does not let sin go undealt with. Okay? That, that's, that's the reality of the situation. A holy and righteous God will not allow wrong to go unpunished. But our God is not only holy and righteous. Praise God for that. He also has a deep, intense love for his creation. He has a deep and intense love for sinners. Which means write your name in that spot that underlines sinners, your name is in there. And so God has a conundrum. He has to both satisfy his wrath and punish sin and he wants to display his love to those who have sinned at the same time. And so what does God do? God enters in to his own creation. He puts on human flesh the eternal word, the creator God, the, the, the one who has life in him, the overcoming light, wraps himself in human flesh. He took on humanity and he determined to be a substitute for them. He would take upon himself the sin and the punishment for sin that every, I'm sorry, that sinful humanity had accumulated for ourselves. He did so by living a flawless life. That's what he did. No one had an accusation or charge against Christ. He even invited it at times. He was like, oh, oh, you think I can't say this? Which one of y'all accuses me of sin? Y'all seen me? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then he would continue. No one could, now I can't do that. Woo. But this is what God did. He lived a perfect life only so that he could be condemned, crucified, and buried by the very creation that he loved. He wrapped himself in human flesh, entered the creation, said, I'm here, and, they said, and we yelled, crucify him. Kill him. Which is coming up in the following few verses. After he was, this Jesus who he entered in was killed, he lay there in the tomb for three days, but on the third day, this Jesus would rise from the dead. And this rising from the dead would be proof that the Father has accepted his sacrifice. See, Jesus, what he did is he effectively exchanged the lives of sinners with his perfect life. 
And he said, I will give everyone who has turned away from their sin and put their faith and trust in me. I will hand you the perfection of my life so that when God sees you, he sees my perfect life. And I'm going to take from you the sinful life that you've lived. I'm going to exchange that so that God punishes me instead of punishing you. And then God would satisfy his wrath or pour out all of his wrath that he had for sinners. Check this out. God poured out his wrath on himself. God saved us from God. Salvation has nothing to do with y'all. God is saving you from himself. And all who entrust their life to Jesus... They're free from sin's power, and they're free from sin's consequence, both. John gave, well, both the Johns gave their whole lives to Jesus because this is a very big deal. Beloved, this is why I've given my life to proclaiming that message, because sin has weighed all of you down. It has burned you. It has lied to you. It has burned you. It has hurt you. All of you have been the victim of what sin can do to a person in a family. All of you can. And then here comes John and John and Canaan and other mission. Pastor Eric, they're coming to tell you that there's somebody who takes the burden of that sin upon themselves and gives you the perfection of their righteousness so that you can view life different, but not just view life different. You can walk in power, but not just walk in power. You can be saved from God's holy and just wrath that is waiting for you. There's good news. You're not hopeless. You're not helpless. Somebody is there to help. And what's funny is we burn ourselves out trying to create some kind of perfection in this physical life. Beloved, it's never going to happen. This life is jacked up. Read Genesis 3 to 4. Everything jacked up. Ladies jacked up. Men jacked up. Now the whole ground building thorns and thistles. Everything's jacked up. But the scriptures say in the book of Romans that even the ground and the earth is waiting for the redemption of God's sons, because the blood of Christ will redeem everything. He redeems you, it redeems me, it redeems this very planet we live on. It changes, oh, what he does, gosh, I'm getting out of the notes. What it does is, what God does through, through his power is he sends his Holy Spirit to live within you, and then he changes the disposition of your heart, and you view all of life differently than you did. No longer is comfort in this world the thing that you seek and are after. It changes. You experience for the first time that thing called joy. Not happiness, different. Happiness is a temporal feeling of lightness. Joy is that deepness that holds you fast when everything is jacked up. Different. Joy produces hope. Happiness lets you down because it only lasts that long before somebody does something you don't like. When the Holy Spirit is within you, all the trials of life have a different bent. We view pain differently because we know that pain produces good character within us, produces hope within us. It builds us. It takes, pain takes us to school, right? That's what, that's what it does. But only if you have a mind that's renewed by the Spirit to view such things in such way, for, not just for 10, 20 minutes, it's easy to, to do that for 10 to 20 minutes, for the rest of your life. To transform what you see as right and wrong, to transform what you see as needed and unnecessary. Beloved, this is why Pillar's mission 
is to lead people closer to Jesus and each other. Why? So that all people might come to know the Savior. Beloved, if you are here and you're a member of Pillar Church, do not be content with some people coming to faith. All people. Do not, if you are here and you are a member, because I can speak to the members with authority, and you are a member of Jesus Christ, and people don't know you, or they do know you, but they don't know you, Jesus, why? If people know us and they don't know our Jesus, it's because there's a measure of unbelief within us. Either we don't believe it, or we fear the person as if they have some kind of power over us. Or we think that they're going to think we're weird if we jump right to the Jesus wagon. Beloved, they won't. The plumber comes over the house and you ask him what you know about Christ. He's going to answer and ain't going to keep plumbing. Okay, it's not the movies where the Christians always weird with the big old eyes and they're like, oh, hell, Jesus. And they look all weird. That's not the reality. Be bold with what you say, you know, with what you say you've given your life to. If Jesus is worth your life then how is, he not worth for the, how is he not worth theirs? How can we claim to have eternal salvation, but we don't share it? We don't share the doorway to it with somebody? It's because there's unbelief somewhere within us. What if I'm wrong? Now, beloved, don't feel convicted if you have unbelief. We all have unbelief in all kinds of areas of our lives. These are things that we have to repent of, confess, talk to God about God. I ain't really believing you right now. And I know you told me and you called me to do something, to be a herald, to be a pro- proclaimer of your gospel, but I'm not really believing it myself right now. Can you help me? Y'all know that's okay to say? Say it. Talking about this joy, I ain't got none. Lord, where it's at, I need it. I'm thirsty for it. No matter how big or influential or impactful or large, John the Baptist's ministry got, or Pillar's ministry gets, or even how influential you may get. Understand this, that John knew. You're not the light. See, that's what those hype men forgot from the beginning. See, all those guys started as hype men, but they ended as the headliner. But we don't do that. Look, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Might as well plug your name in there. There's a man or a woman in here sent by God. And we came to be a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Verse eight, he or us, we were not the light, but he came to testify about the light. That's another thing. Y'all helping people turn them to the Lord quickly. You're, you know, you can help somebody, help them, like help people, be, be, but then get them to the real help. Quick, we come to testify about the light. Now, John the Baptist would develop a large following but he always, played his posi- he always played his position. He always understood who he was in light, in light of who God was. Now, I know that John, I got ahead of myself. I know that John had a particular mission, but beloved, I want to t- this is what I want to tell you. All this, just to highlight this, you have a mission. You have been called by God. There's a reason why you're here. It's not just to raise your kids well. It's not just to make friends and community. It's not, that's not it. That's not only that. Yeah, there's some of that in there. That's not it. You were created to be a herald. You were made to shout God's praises and to tell people about the coming king. 
You were built to be that dude who stands on the soapbox or perhaps be that person who befriends this individual just so I can get to the things, the spiritual things of Jesus with him. You were built for that. That moment's going to come where you're with somebody and it's going to come in the back of your head. Should I share the gospel? Should I tell them about Jesus? Right? You know how that thing comes? And then you go, shh. Right? That's going to come. What I want you to tell yourself from then on is I was built for that. Like I'm built to do this. It's not you or your words or your craftiness that's going to persuade anybody anyway. In fact, I would urge you, don't be creative. Don't be creative at all. Tell the old, old message and watch the power of the word do what it promises to do. Just broach it. Why? You were built for this. The devil has told y'all that y'all are hammers in a land of screws. Y'all get it? You people who build stuff. Okay. He's convinced you that you're something that you're not. Or he's diverted you from remembering what you actually are. You're his mouthpiece. You're his herald. You're his proclaimer. You're his praiser. You're his worshiper. In the darkness, you're his light. That's what you're built on. That's what you are. Don't let anybody tell you different. And don't be afraid of nobody. What they going to do? Oh, that person's a little funny. That hurt real bad, dang. Yes, I can't eat tonight. We're afraid of we're afraid of social martyrdom. We're afraid that people are going to think we cool no more. I want to encourage you, beloved. Fear not what man can do to the body or to your reputation. Fear God. Follow God, obey God. Bump what everybody else saying. Now, I want to make this really clear and simple. There are three characteristics of a herald. And I'm just going to really, we're going we're gonna to breeze these. Three characteristics of a herald. First one is this. A herald is not silent. That's the first thing. This is you. This is you. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's vocal the same way. You're built unique. But you're the same task, same mission, same job. But there's no such thing as, can you imagine a silent hype man come up on a stage? What is that? You don't even know what he's doing. This is why I hate this. Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. It's always words. The gospel's news, you tell news through lips. There's no such thing as a silent herald. No such thing. I want to encourage you with what God encouraged the apostle Paul with in the book of Acts, chapter 18. The Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Right, underline this if you need this. I need that because I don't know about, you see, y'all think I'm some big bold cat up here. I'm as shook as everybody in this room. Dead serious. If anybody says they don't have trepidation in sharing the gospel, they're probably not telling you the full truth or they're even ignorant of the reality of the trepidation. We all have it. I have it. You have it. This is when we pray this, this, this is when we, we read this. Do not be afraid. God's telling Paul the apostle why is he saying it? Because Paul's probably shook. Don't be afraid. But keep on speaking and do not be silent. That's what he says. For I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. How you know that the Comcast worker ain't somebody that God has in this city just waiting for somebody to broach the gospel with him. There's a, a wonderful quote that I don't, I, it's from, I got it from MLK, but I don't think it's original with him, but just listen to it because it, it, it hits this chord. 
and it, it's powerful. He says, there comes a time when silence is betrayal. Our lives begin and end the day we become silent about things that matter. In the end, we will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. For evil to succeed, all it needs is for good men to do nothing. Wow. It's almost like he was reading the Bible. Because he was. A, a herald is not silent. Second thing, a herald does not have his own message. Firstly, a herald is not silent. Secondly, a herald doesn't go around saying what they want to say. A herald is entrusted with a particular message to the people that the king has sent him to. This is why it's imperative that we know the king's message, which is why I tried to walk, walk the, through some of the elements of the gospel. This is why we've decided that one of the six elements of Pillar Church is gospel fluency. Gospel fluency, speaking and recognizing the gospel with ease, possessing such a command of its truths and implications that the gospel flows naturally from within. If you're the king's herald, then you know the king's message and you can speak the king's message naturally. And so one thing that we're going to be striving to do over the course of the next several decades is get the gospel in you so you can speak it fluently. Because one of the biggest fears we have of sharing the gospel is not knowing what to say. That's true. Right. We don't really know what angle we're going to talk about. How are we going to broach this? Was, what if, oh, what if they say something I don't know the answer to? <gasps> right. That's those are the fears. Oh, we want to help solidify some of those fears. And I want to encourage you with this. Somebody's always going to say, give you a question that you don't know the answer to. It's inevitable and just accept it. Somebody got an answer. Because usually those questions are the same questions that was asked 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago. But the second characteristic is that a herald does not have his own message. He wields the message of the king. Third one is that a, message, uh, 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 a herald wields the authority of a king. When a herald is standing in the town square or he visits enemy territory, he does so as the king himself. This is why heralds were always safe. When a herald traveled to enemy territory, the enemy, if they put their hands on him, it was in, the, it was in effect they put their hands on the king himself. And the king would send the army. A herald also was endowed with, the sa with a similar power as the king. Whatever the herald spoke, it was as if the king spoke under his own authority. And what's beautiful is that the king of kings has also given his children a similar authority. Look, he says in Acts chapter 1, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. You have power and you're his witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the ends of the earth. Beloved, because we've placed our faith in Jesus, he has sent the Holy Spirit to be within us. And because the Holy Spirit is within us, we have power, but not just any old power to do whatever we want. We have power to be his witnesses Amen. to the ends of the earth. I'm going to say this. I think some of us feel unfulfilled with life because we're trying to do something we're not built to do, and we're ignoring the thing we are built to do. I remember I took some youth from when I was pastoring in New York 
to Boston for a missions trip to go just preach the gospel. We would go to Harvard University, we'd go downtown Boston, and we go to some other places and just start sharing the gospel with college students and people from downtown. And we start sharing our faith with these individuals. And it was funny, some of those same students who were lackadaisical about the faith all of a sudden became alive. And like two years later, the flame didn't fizzle. You know, usually mission trips, everybody's, oh, Jesus. And they put the, 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 the sin on the thing and they put it in the fire and it's woof. And then they go back home and it's like nothing changed. That's what happens in churchy culture. Y'all know. Y'all know. All right. Can we, call this, can we call a spade a spade? That's what happens. Everybody's, oh, Jesus, Jesus. And they come home and they're back the same way. Well, some of these kids, they were changed. Like years later, they were changed. And, I, and they became like the number one evangelists from the group. And they were out sharing the God, and they were like, for some reason, I'm alive when I speak the gospel. I can't help it. It just feels good. It feels right. I got to tell somebody. And I'm like, what do you do when they, when they, when they don't want it? He's like, how? Okay, I go to the next guy. And I'm just like, why can't I teach me that? Because I'm all down. But they lived there. I feel like they've figured out what God, their, their sweet spot. God has called them to share the gospel in this particular way, and now they're doing it in that way, and they feel alive. They have their everyday job. One of them worked at Target. He had his everyday job, but beloved... The man loved to share the gospel. He couldn't get it out of him. And to this day, he's an evangelist. What is that message? Underline this in your scriptures. This is, this is what the herald's to do. This is the message of faith we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Implication, if he's Lord, he's ruling. And if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, implication, God's wrath has been satisfied for you. You will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, this is what you tell people. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Since there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, add any other distinction to that list, does not matter. No distinction between God, God's people, his creation. Because the same Lord of all richly blesses all who come to him. This is why you can encourage people to get right to Christ. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without the herald? And how can they preach unless they're sent. Beloved, consider that your sending message. Consider that your call from this day forth to go forth and proclaim the gospel. How beautiful your feet will be of those who bring good news. Can we determine within our hearts today to confess the fear of sharing, our, sharing the gospel, to confess the, the unbelief that's within us, that's keeping us? Can we do that today and ask God to transform us from just living in this world to being impactful in this world, not for physical life, that's nice, but for eternal life.